On track, he's been audacious, daring and fast, while off track, he's been witty, animated and has occasionally used very colourful language. In short, Yuki Tsunoda is a very welcome addition to Formula One this year and I'm delighted to say he's my guest this week. Welcome to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Yuki's hit the ground running in his rookie season with AlphaTauri. He scored points in his first race in Bahrain, and he's been fast and pushed the limit of performance everywhere he's gone. There have been some mesmerising overtakes where he's sent it down the inside of experienced rivals with seemingly carefree abandon, all of which has earned him the praise of Formula One's director of motorsport, Ross Braun. But it hasn't all been plain sailing. There have been moments when he's pushed too hard. His crash during qualifying at Imola was his most painful faux pas, and there was that ding in practice at Monaco last weekend as well. All part of the learning process, you could say. But each mistake no doubt comes with some tough words from Helmut Marko. Which brings us on to Yuki's language. Let's just say he's an emotional guy when he's driving the car. The airwaves sometimes turn blue, much to the surprise of TV directors around the world. But the language does at least prove his desire to succeed. He really wants this, badly. But take him out of the cockpit and he's both engaging and amusing. He has plenty of interests away from motorsport and his passion for food has become a bit of a thing. When asked in Spain what he loved about Formula One the most, he said it was the food in the motorhomes. We talk about all of this and more, including his relationship with the other drivers on the grid, and he doesn't disappoint. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Yuki, it is lovely to have you on the show. I feel this should be Formula One's cooking podcast after all the chat we've had in the press conferences recently. I know you've just had lunch, so go on, flatter me. What have you had for lunch? I have lunch. Um, it's like I went, uh, had in the Honda hospitality. It was Japanese food, actually. Um, Cause like a natto. I think I told you in the, I told you in the press conference as well. The natto is like beans, but it's really sticky. But I don't think uh, most of the country, other countries, don't like the people don't like much this one because it's really th- sticky and a little bit stinky. Stinky. Um, You're not selling it well. Little it smells stink. <laughs> just tiny bit stinks when you smell first time. But for me, it's really good. It doesn't smell much, and but I think it's really good. And put on the rice and you eat together. Yuki, for all of your fans out there, we're, we're obviously going to come on to racing in a minute. But where's this passion for food and cooking, and and where does it all come from? I think from Japan, like uh, especially I came to Europe when I came to Europe 2019 first time I realized that Japanese culture especially food is really amazing and yeah even 2019 I, di- I didn't have any of experience for cooking until living by myself so I started to challenge into cooking by myself with Japanese food because I miss really Japanese food at a, at a, at a time so and it start, it's hard to find a Japanese food restaurant um, in Switzerland I was living in Switzerland in 2019 so since from there, I really like cooking and also like food, especially starts watching like a chef movie or how to make this uh, food uh, with a YouTube or like that. So, yeah. Um, Brilliant. But now you're living in the UK. Living in the UK. Uh, in Milton Keynes. Yeah. So there's a few more Japanese restaurants around there, I guess. Yes, I think um, there's a few Japanese restaurants, but currently like this situation, I couldn't go to the this place and eat, just ha- having a delivery. But... Um, 
well compared to like a Honda hospitality, it's okay. You know, to be honest, like I can't eat every day for that. So normally I really love to eat every day, but I couldn't eat. It tastes still similar to Japanese food, but a little bit different. Yeah, so Yuki, it's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I love your passion for food, Melo. Let's talk about your passion for Formula One. Five races in, how much are you enjoying it? I'm really enjoying, especially almost every tracks. Like, for example, Portugal, Monaco. Here, it's a couple of、uh, new tracks, and also in the future, for example, Azerbaijan or a lot of tracks gonna be new. So, as a driver, it's always feeling amazing, exciting to drive the new track. And experience new things, especially like new Monaco. I realized really amazing track, like a lot of up and up and down. I just drove in the、um, Formula One game, but it's even compared to that, it's a little bit different. Especially how they how the bank is or like fit, like you know、uh, the view. That's an interesting thing, Yuki, because I can't think of many drivers whose first experience of Monaco is in a Formula One car. It must be a lot to get your head around. Yes, like it was really quick actually.、Um, first lap,、uh, I'm pushing lap, push lap. Feeling is really fast, especially driving Formula One, like really narrow, narrow track. And like first, I couldn't、um, follow with my eyes. You know? Like I just feels like how to say, it, like have to really back off to not to crash. But actually, Formula One has a lot of downfalls, so it just still can manage with a lot of downfalls and grip. So. Yeah, even now, like FB two, yeah, I went a little bit wall, but until that, like I was pushing hard and quite fast speed, and still the Formula One can make with that speed and without any of the oversteer like that. So it's incredible. You say you're pushing hard, but with the barriers so close, are you leaving any margin? I should, I think should. I need to. Is that what Helmut yeah, told yeah. you after FB two? Actually, this morning. <laughs> That's why a little bit to feel.、Um, uh, yeah. Just for people listening who who didn't know,、uh, you had a little ding with the barriers at the end of FP2,、yep. and 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 Helmut did actually say to the media, "I told Yuki, I told Yuki to keep it out of the barrier." Yeah, actually, yeah,、oh, yeah, hundred percent. I was also aiming to not crash in until free practice three, especially in free practice. It's really the. Good mileage, good track time, good confidence. Every through this、um, to qualify. But equally, Yuki, if you're not pushing, if you're not near the limit, you're nowhere in Formula One, aren't you? So it's a, it's a, it's a really fine balance. Exactly. I think,、um, yeah, even、um, starts pushing, feel until that like starts to get used to it to this track and feel like I know almost this limit in this track. So starts a little bit pushing. That makes a little bit went to the wall. So yeah,、um, it's between. You need a good finding, but I think、um, for the moment, especially like Monaco, it's need a good mileage, especially track time to build it up the confidence. So I think I shouldn't do that、um, in free practice too. Yeah. But looking at the bigger picture of Formula One, what has surprised you about it? I, I said already, you know, the food in the hospitality, <laughs> like、um, the quality of yeah, quality of the food. Artist Formula One.、Um, I mean, let's talk about the cars for a second.、Oh, yeah. What has what has surprised you about the cars? I think switches. I think many of the things you can control in the steering, like at the same time, like even in, until Formula Two, even you have like something big issue at the car, like for example, like a lot of oversteer or understeer in the corners. You have to finish the session, or you have to go to the pit. Adjust like takes a lot of times to adjust and go back to the track. But from that one, you can do almost in the just one steering, change the switches. If you have oversteer, you just have to put the switches to make it a little bit more stable. 
you can just try and fade every corners, and you can also in qualifying lap every corners you just change the switches that you want to have the, for the car balance, and you know it's not just about the your driving. Also, you can change with the car setups and the one you want. And I think overall the driver performance is you know feel the car as much as possible, change change the switches and make the car faster as soon as possible and develop the car uh, with the team. So I think, um, yeah, the, the switches for me is an incredible thing, I think. And is it second nature? Do you have to think about what button to press or, or is it all completely natural? For me, now it's natural. But like first time I drove uh, last year in uh, Imola, yeah, I have to really look down first my steering and I have to really back off the throttle and... Um, see what button is what and make sure this spot I'm changing the right position. Uh, yeah, the, every lap time was very inconsistent, especially race, race race run. So now I get used to it. I can just, even Monaco, it's really, really hard to like adjust switches because it's really short, um, straight. So, but even now I can quick, quite smoothly. So now I'm getting quite, quite used to it. And what about the actual performance? Did it take you long to get used to the power, the downforce, the brakes? Yeah, I think for me still, I'm not feeling like fully controlling the car still. But up to got like for example eighty percent or seventy percent, it was not too it was not too difficult. Just like you have more downforce, you have so you can just have more confidence to go to and send it to the car. When Formula Two, you have really heavy car, as it's more unstable, like more unstable in in entry especially. So you can fit it more the car, but just Formula One, if if you go above the limit. Like you just have snap and go to barrier. So until you find the limit, it's quite it's not too difficult. But just it's hard to find final like ninety nine or nine hundred percent limit. Yeah, without any, for example, crash or like uh, something spin. So when you look at your teammate Pierre Gasly's data, for example, is there one particular area where he's very impressive? He's really strong at um like quiet one lap. Yeah, he just all put all together um, every time in qualifying. He don't have much mistakes in qualifying. Uh, for me, I, until free practice is okay, but just qualifying. I impressed, especially like wind, wind. I think wind usage. He used quite a lot good. He used a lot in wind wind usage. Like for example, he adapt quite well to the wind. For example, like in free practice, where you have tailwind to this corner, and qualifying, if you have uh, complete opposite headwind. If you have headwind, you have to more. Speed send the car because you have more headwind so you have more downforce but I just have can still not using maximum performance for wind effect so even even having having a headwind still I'm breaking the same point as a head when tailwind so I think um, and he adds up well every time every single session and in qualifying especially he put all together so I think wind usage he he using quite good he's good at the wind usage I think, yeah. I guess a lot of that's experience as well, isn't it? I look back at this year and I, and I think of the Bahrain test where you went very well. And then, of course, points in your first race. It was a dream start, wasn't it? And do you think that first race raised expectations too high, both people out from the outside looking in, but also for you yourself? Yeah, to be honest, yes, I was. I think, um, especially from Bahrain, I, I went really went really, really very good even like having mistakes in qualifying q2 and dropped yeah dropped q2 but still went well and i get a points 
got a point in the first race. So I think from there, especially, I aim quite high. Well, expectation as uh, future, especially Imola. I, the next race was Imola, and uh, I was even like aiming like oh, like top five or like that. So I think, yeah, that makes um for sure. I was aiming to be high and qualifying. I tried to put like amazing rap, you know, like dream lap. And in, especially in Q one, you don't, you shouldn't do ha- do had you don't have to do like that kind of stuff in Q one, but just like my adrenaline and the motivation was like that and went to smart went to the wall. So I think, yeah, in the beginning of the year, I was really expecting high and I was aiming too high. I think. So you've had to throttle back a bit. Yeah. Almost take one step back yep. to go two steps forward. You know, I was running the track in Imola on the Saturday night. Oh really? And I found some of your bodywork, bit of the engine cover. And I was thinking, okay. I can put this on eBay. <laughs> I can make a few quid here. <laughs> but actually, when you're running, and it was just too big a bit. But I was, it's funny, they just hidden this bit of bodywork in the tyre wall. <laughs> I don't know, it's a weird thing, but there you go. Yuki, tell us a little bit about the emotions uh, that go on inside the cockpit. Because um, you, can't, you come across as quite emotional over, over the radio. Where does that come from? Because sitting here now and everything I've seen of you outside of the car, you're very calm. Yeah, I just I uh, even know even me I don't know why like I get too heat up heating up in a, especially yeah like um, I really like to do lap by myself maybe naturally like even like I don't want to have something disturbed in my push lap especially if I having quite good lap I think most of the drivers have same feeling but just yeah, it's like I think controlling myself is now the main topic for me, and hundred percent, and and especially about Barcelona, I was like fully out of control. Like, yeah, I just I don't know why, but just, I just pressed the radio. Like cover, like a f- traffic. Nice f- paradise, like traffic paradise. What is this one? I don't have to, but just I don't. I just press the radio with the, I don't know why but just yeah say shout at them so this is definitely you know, my weak point and I have to really um, you know a little bit improve of this one radio communication and from there um, try to I think it was getting better for radio thing but I think can be more better so I mean you you get on with your race engineer don't you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no issues there that we need to get out in yeah. the open yeah I think um, radio communication is the most important thing for Formula 1 especially so it there's no points to shout and then the radio if you want to have something um advice from them just have to really come and tell what issue now and what's the limitation for the car now and with the calm and they're gonna support us but if you just shout they can't do anything you know Mm -hmm. so i think um radio thing is my main topic for now can we talk about some of the some of your bosses really i was going to say some of the people you work with but your bosses specifically i mean franz tost what did he say after Emma, for example? Did he put a comforting arm around you, or what's his style? She's really calm, and he's always, um, I think, support drivers. Especially he, he's already in Formula One career like long years, and he was looking at lots of drivers, especially rookie. And he he shared that experience from also the the past, um, what they have in young drivers and what they do. Also, you know, especially for example. He knows Sebastian better well, and um, to be he saw directly that how he managed to be a successful driver. So he don't force me to like do like this or like just just try to just he send me the advice thing. 
even like after Imola, he just um laugh at me, you know, like not like a bad way, you know, like just shit, shit happens. Like oh, you, I think you push too much and like that, and um yeah, he said, he didn't say like what what did he do, like what what is that, like yeah, his mistakes, and even like after. Barcelona, what I was saying, radio, it was really bad thing. Even he said, like, you don't have to worry about radio, it's just anything. Just radio is almost nothing, so just have to, you just focus to driving and um, talk to the engine, what was the, what was the issue? And you have to make the car the what you want, you know? So he's really, for me, he's kind, and he's also sometimes be strict, but it's in a good way. For strict me, in what way, though? For example, like training, like, he, he, I think he, he likes really training. Well, he's a really good runner. He's a really good runner. I did a, the Wings for Life lap yep. in Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> he passed me. Yeah, yeah. He's incredible. Stoll stage, what, 65? But I did get him later on in the lap, mind you. Yeah. I'm just going to get that out for the record. Yeah, but, he's, uh, yeah, he's really, really fit, isn't he? Yeah, I saw his Bahrain. Um, he, I think he arrived in the morning like at 6 o'clock and he went to hotel and changed his clothes and run in the beach like one and a half hours and go to the like a gym session again like he spent like almost three or four hours he's almost athletes like yeah he's definitely athletes now and um so he's, he's really strict in the way he said yuki where were you i was in the gym <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so um yeah he know how to make a driver good bad good and i think um he's one of i would say like uh you know managing the driver not just the team boss it's like how he tried to, you know, manage the mentality, manage the driver. So I think he's a really good team boss. I think for me, for me, he's really not just a team boss. Like he's like kind of, how do you say, like partner. Or, yeah, like or a mentor. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Now look, what about Helmut Marko? How would you describe your relationship with him? He's really opposite compared to France. He's more horsey, especially like Monaco. I completely agree with that, but just... I said what I said to you, and he said, "Yeah, he don't question Formula Three practice one two, and he, I did it. So yeah, he's really he was not happy about that, um, of course, and um, he pushed hard. I think for the drivers, I know him from like 2019. We worked together, and he was always like that, even Formula Two like that. And especially being of the year, I was having really difficult uh, season in Formula Two, and he was pushing." But like now, even like for example, Formula Two, I was aiming to get a super license point. In difficult and to get super license point, I was need the fourth position in the driver championship. And um, the beginning of the year, I was not almost like impossible. Like I was, I was nowhere like B twelve or thirteen, and he was not happy and get a super license point or or else, um, yeah, you you can imagine, I guess. So it's a bit scary. But sometimes we talk not just the racing. I was just about other things can yeah. you remember the first time you met helmet i think it was suzuka in um 2018 i think in formula one i race week i went paddock and met him with a question honor so you were racing in japanese formula four at the time yeah. very much a honda man and what that's when the, the red bull opportunity um no started. um actually first time hangaro thing um in 2018 when i was in formula four and uh, i think i was july and why i went there because of honda was testing me to decide to send the uk to the europe it's like a kind of test uh, like how much i have potential so i went to hungaroring to the formula 3 test with the motor park and at that point it just was not anything story with the red bull also some of the honda guy driver 
management comes to Hungary to see my performance, and I was I was in three days, and on Formula Three I just drove before that like almost two days or a day, and there was like a lot of junior drivers as well, like for example like now Dennis Hager like um, also Dan Tickton when he was uh, leading the championship in the, at, that, at that time in Formula Three. How did you get on against those guys? Dan Tickton he went he came in last day. And until second day, I was competing with uh, Dennis Hager or Jake Duhan. I was basically beating them almost all session. And yeah, I just drove, yes, until that uh, two days or a day. So I was already like my arms or my physical was really almost fucked up. Like I resting a lot be- between the sessions, the session. But just, yeah, I was beating them. It's last day that the Dantic team came, we were really close. Like sometimes he, we, we, I win and sometimes he wins. Like even we, like I win and he wins like always in between one tenth. And yeah, I think Motor Park team manager, I think Timo Lampwell, yeah, in he saw the uh, report or something like that to Helmut um, because there was Red Bull Juniors. And I think... That time, Helmut found me first time in the paper. Like, who is this guy that beating our Red Bull Juniors? And I think Helmut called the Honda after that and asked how many times Yuki does Formula 3 testing before the Kangaroo. And I think I was doing just two days or a day like that until that I was just driving Formula 4. So I think I'm impressed about that my performance. And next year, became Formula, Formula 3 uh, Red Bull Junior driver. So people quite... fighting over you, you Honda, <laughs> Red Bull. Tell me why you love racing. Is it, is it the competition or is it the driving itself? For me, it's driving by myself. So I, of course, I like to compete, but... Always, I really like to drive by myself. For example, that's why I really like to drive P1 always because there's no any cars in front of me wearing my downforce. I just can drive, you know, with free air and drive uh, what I want to. If I'm driving behind the car, I have to really think about the downforce level, you know, uh, dirty air like that. I, I can't drive what I want to, but if I'm in P1, I can, can drive what I want to. I more, I think, drive, I like to drive by myself. I so think. it's the pleasure of driving? I think, yeah. And has that always been the case from the moment you first drove a go-kart? Um, yeah, I think. Um, Can you remember that time? To be honest, no. <laughs> not much. But How uh, old were I think, did I read you were, what, four? Yeah, four. When you first drove a go-kart. Yeah. Can you t- there must be a story there, Yuki. How did that come about? My father was doing um, kind of motorsport, something like that. Um, what was dad? Was he a driver? Or? He was drivers. Like he was in kind of motorsport. Um, what kind of motorsport? Like normal car, and he just um, competed with a lap time with others. Um, I mean, not just race, just lap time. Almost like a rally stage. Like kind of yeah, rally stage with a normal tire. Like a little bit racy tire and the I was hoping you were going to say he was one of the drift kings. You know, isn't not drifting, the, <laughs> isn't that it's big in in Japan, isn't it? Uh, it's really big, big yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah. not like not that, like but that. just yeah. He knows kind of was a sport, but so dad was doing it just for fun. Uh, was he was he quite raised? also kind of professional. Okay, not famous, but he was quite professional. He was doing uh, quite a lot of things, and but we saw go karting track when we were driving highway. Well, we were in the highway. And um, that took me to there just for fun, for driving, co-karting. And also I, I, I did a uh, motorcycle as well. I think I, I, at the time I said I really want to do go-karting. I don't really remember, but my dad said like that. And 
and we start go-karting. Speaking as a father, if you had a choice, you'd probably direct your son <laughs> or daughter, for that matter, towards go-karting yeah. rather than Minimoto, I guess. And then just, just tell us about the journey from there to that meeting with Helmut Marco. So you, I know that you did a bit of karting, then there was a lot of Formula 4. Um, and where, at what point did Honda come on the radar? Honda was, I think, um, 2016. So when I was doing, like, go-karting was really, like, highest level of the car in Japan. And, yeah, next level is Formula, you know, Formula 4. So to do Formula 4, it's quite expensive, you know. It's, uh, it's not easy to do drive racing with uh, my our money. So Honda does a junior program, and if I, you became junior drivers, they support to be until well, professional, if you're good, with the money as well. So we decided to go in, join the Honda. Also, Honda do, does Formula One. So, of course, it's not a big chance, but still there's a potential, a little bit chance to make, my, I might have to go from uh, Europe and That's race for Formula so One. thinking about that even a tiny bit, even yeah. back then. Yeah, but I was not thinking too much because it was yeah. a completely different world. So first, I, I just uh, decided to test to be, became Honda Junior driver. Uh, they're doing um, one-year testing with uh, a lot of drivers. And if you're in uh, P1 or P until P3 or P1 or P2, you can be for 100 drivers. And yeah, I became 100 junior drivers. Where did all the testing take place? At Suzuka? Suzuka, yeah. So you know that track well? I know a lot of, like, like, I drove already like more than like 1,000 or 5,000 laps, I think. So I know well there, so... I'm really looking forward to driving to this year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen from there and drive from Formula 4 with Honda. And, I had, yeah, I got a chance to go to Europe with testing Team Motorpark in the Hungarian. So, yes, start from there. Um, Formula 3 in 2019, 2020, 20. Formula 1. So Yeah. And how, how difficult has it been for you living in Europe? Uh, was how not much, how too much difficult. You, how much have you missed home? I was not missing home much. I'm not like uh, I'm quite good at that. So I'm quite strong at that to not missing home. But I miss more food and Japanese food. That's why I'm making. I try to study how to make Japanese food by myself in training in 19 when I was Switzerland. So. And do you have any brothers and sisters? I have a younger sister. Has she been over to stay? She wants to try some of your cooking. Does she? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I'm just interested that I know a lot of Europeans who have raced in Japan and, okay. and they suffer from homesickness quite a lot. So it's interesting to hear that you going the other way, you, um, you've been able to deal with it. Okay. I was, I was doing, doing okay. Like I, I like to really uh, living by myself, sitting by myself with own uh, private room. So I was doing okay. I think um, there was also a trainer helps me a lot for for like that kind of stuff. So I was not just by myself in the the country. I just with the trainer and do something couple of uh, fun activities or training there. So Yuki Trevor Carlin, who you raced for, will say that you maybe spent too much time hanging out with the mechanics because um, I want to talk about your language. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed there's been a couple of swear words um, in in while well, we've been chatting. Now, just are you even aware that you're swearing in English? Did they even tell you these were swear words? Because Trevor says that you learnt all the bad stuff from his boys. Okay. Well, um, 
yeah, I like bad words. <laughs> so uh, I had a really good relationship yes, um, with the calling mechanics, also with the engineers. They sometimes using some bad words and uh, I learned from there. And uh, just I was using bad words for joke, you know, and uh, I was having fun. And I think that's, I was sitting well for that one. But yeah, um, soon as I realized when I came to Europe, just uh, Starts naturally using that bad words, even I was not trying to say, we, because I was using too much bad words. So now look, here's the thing: how much do do, do Japanese people swear in conversation? Japanese don't swear much, I think. I mean, imagine Yuki, if that you and I are walking through a park in Tokyo, perhaps the Shinjuku Gaien. How much would we hear people walking alongside us swearing? I think Japanese, most of Japanese won't swear much. Yeah, they're quite um, respectful. I don't know why, but I think I'm. I think my I'm ruining the Jap- a Japanese like image, so I'm breaking the Japanese image. So I'm not good at that. But I think most of Japanese don't swear much. Well, same age as me, like same generation as me. Like they swear a lot with all with friends, but with other people, they they won't swear much. What do mom and dad think of it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I mentioned Tokyo because you come from a suburb, don't you, of Tokyo. One of the greatest cities in the world. Always try and go there on my way yep. to Suzuka. But for those people who have yet to visit, can you tell them where they should go? What's great about Tokyo? Tokyo? Like, I think Shinjuku or like the lots of buildings or Tokyo Tower, whatever, like. It's like a way, like New York or like London. It's a lot of shopping are there, and I think it's really it's really clean, and um, there's a lot of culture. Like if you go to Harajuku, there's also you can see like Japanese comic like anime, and if you go to not about just Tokyo, like for example Kyoto or like um, Hiroshima or Hokkaido, you can see a really Japanese traditional building, and also you can really. Japanese uh, food, a lot, not just like sushi or like a lot of uh, traditional Japanese food there. So, have you been to the fish market? Uh, have you got up at four o'clock in the morning and gone I'm to the fish? Not yet. I really want to. We're just not yet. Yeah. I really want to, but yeah. And have you climbed Mount Fuji? Um, not top of the Mount Fuji, but I went in the middle of the Mount Fuji. Yeah, I climbed a little bit. You climbed a little bit. Yeah, it's good when you get to the top. I've done it. Oh really? I've climbed Mount Fuji five How was times. It? Uh, actually I've climbed it with Sebastian Vettel you mentioned him really yeah Seb's been up there it's good it's cold (laughs) yeah and um, Vettel wanted to climb it at night so that we could see the sun come up that's nice in the morning it was amazing yeah he's a man who's got good ideas I I should uh, yeah actually while we're talking about other Formula 1 drivers how do you get on with them does the sort of F2 guys from last year hang out do you hang out with mick and nikita or how are the older guys with you have you got any friends yet normal just say hello i think <laughs> um we don't speak much do you have a relationship with sebastian for example or not much i have um more like red bull guys like pierre max checo well others like carlos maybe lando yeah we we, we driven uh one time silverstone twice like that um in Silverstone, Formula 3 in Carlin, you know, Carlos and me and Lando. Um, ah, that's when um, yeah, yeah. the McLaren guys went and just yeah. got a bit of practice in, didn't yeah. they? Go on, were you quicker than them? I think it was wet, wasn't it? Wet or dry as well. It was um, dry as well, was it? Yeah, I think... Um, well, don't, we don't were... be modest, were you quicker? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. But, um, well, uh, last session, we were like always like mixing. So Lando was P1, and next session I was P1, and next session Carlos was P1. It was really mixing, always in one tenth, you know, in one tenth. So it was really was really fun memories must have been must have been do you have any f1 heroes did you follow formula one when you were younger um, did you have any posters on your bedroom wall no 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 not much uh, i don't have much hero yeah when i was young i think no michael schumacher or uh, not much i think even lewis hamilton not much i think well fernando a little bit my dad we like uh, fernando alonso what about the japanese formula one drivers i mean there have been 18 but japanese formula one drivers have you had any dealings with any of them i mean through the links with honda maybe takuma sato for example i talked with uh, takuma sato um this year january i think with no, honda now, how Sharing. did you find him what was what was taku like Takuma-san was like more, yeah, he, he shared a lot of his experience in Formula One and um, he gave me advice and he was a really nice guy. And I think he, he supported me a lot for me. Um, please uh, get a podium first in podium that because he, we, don't have much, um, we don't have any P1 in history. So if you get it P1, that would be great. Like, yeah, he so, support a lot for me. And also Kamui Kobayashi also we chat a little bit um, about he's also shared experience and he had given me advice so I, in the past I didn't know I just know the Kamui Kobayashi and uh, Takuma Sato from Formula 1 drivers in Japan I didn't know others to be honest <laughs> so Aguri Suzuki uh, yeah, Satoru Nakajima these yeah of course uh, well I, I knew like uh, recently but yeah uh, really respect, I respect them a lot so and there's a huge Honda link isn't there between you all. Um, how sad are you that Honda are pulling out at the end of the year? Well, it's really shame that, um, especially like recent, it's like this year, Honda shows a lot uh, improvement for engine and think they develop engine quite really fast. And um, now is the engine is really quick, so it's a shame that they um, pull out like this time. But I think they decide and. Japanese fans are more sad than me, I think. Uh, Japanese fans are really like Honda from, especially like John Senna was driving a McLaren with a Honda engine. So, yeah, it's just shame. I, I can't say anything other than that, but just, I just really shame and yeah. Will you retain links with Honda, even though they won't officially be in Formula One? I think so. I don't know yet, but just I really like to still um, connect, connect with uh, Honda. That'll be great. Yeah, I don't know. I really always welcome with a Honda so Honda Honda grows me up and um, until uh, Formula 1 you know so without Honda I'm not here so yeah I have really big thanks for them so yeah I'm you, always you welcome know, the best present you could give Honda is a good result at Suzuka later in the year hey? 100% yeah it would be awesome yeah I mean, it would be awesome I remember Kamui getting on the podium um, Suzuka yeah in Suzuka yeah. and just the atmosphere and people chanting it was just Awesome. Yeah. It would Hope, be so special, wouldn't it? Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, it would be like that, yeah. But And what about your fame in Japan? You know, you've made such an impact on Formula One, the Formula One fraternity, and in Europe. What about back home? How how big a deal are you? Well, definitely a little bit changed compared to when I was Formula Two. I got lots of messages every, every day from Japanese fans, like, for example, like Monaco, Good luck with the always um, with the race or like that. So yeah, compared to when I was in Formula Two, a lot of like 
it's not even close. Like a lot of measure er, guests from every Japanese fan every every day. So some crazy gifts. Not yet. I think for crazy gifts. Yeah, I don't have it yet, but I think hopefully I can get a crazy gift later on. And and what about the sort of TV presence? Are you going on talk shows on the telly, or is it? Big newspaper stories. Well, um, I have a lot of、um, interview with like some. Well, I have a couple of、uh, TV thing filming almost every race, and、um, even without racing, when I'm in the between race rest week, I have、uh, still an interview with from Japan. So yeah, I'm really happy to get like that kind of stuff from Japan. Oh, Yuki, well, look, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Last question for me is: apart from that mega result you're going to get at Suzuka, what are the goals for the rest of the year? Get a point as much as possible and be top ten in the driver championship. Go for it. Best of luck for that. Thank you. What a lovely chat! Thank you, Yuki, for your time and for being so relaxed and candid. And let's hope you never lose that carefree honesty as your Formula One career develops. For me, one of the biggest take-home messages from that chat was his mental resilience. He doesn't pine for home while living in the UK. He can deal with difficult conversations with Helmut Marko. In fact. He doesn't get phased by much, and while admitting that he's had to change his expectation levels since that wonderful start in Bahrain, he remains so bullish and still wants a top ten finish in the drivers' championship. And then, of course, there's his passion for cooking and Japanese food in particular. There's never a boring moment with Yuki, and Formula One is so much the richer for having him on the grid. Let's wish him a long and successful career. Thanks for your time, Yuki. It was great to catch up, and thanks too to Alpha Tauri for getting us together. Before we move on, as ever, please remember to send in any stories or chance meetings or thoughts that you have about Yuki. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Send them to me at Tom Clarkson F1 or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Olivier Panis after last week's show. It's crazy to think he won the Monaco Grand Prix 25 years ago, and many of you seem to have remembered the race like it was yesterday. Darren Timms got in touch with this fabulous interview. I often wonder what Olivier could have achieved in 1997 had the accident in Montreal not occurred. The Toyota stuff was fascinating too, and I think Panis and Salo would have been a great combination in 2003. Well, I totally agree about 1997, Darren. Olive was on a roll before Montreal, wasn't he? And I think he could have won a race later that year with a little bit of luck on his side. Anyway, we will never know. And Master had this to say: I always considered Panis a very underrated driver. His 1997 season before the accident will always be one of my favourite what-if stories. But I feel his biggest contribution to Formula One was his revaluation of the third driver status, thanks to his experience with McLaren. Yes, Master. Yes, and the guys like Alex Verts, Pedro de la Rosa, Anthony Davidson, and Alec McNish owe Olivier many favors because they all benefited massively from the market he created at McLaren. And a guy called George had this to say. Bravo! The best Beyond the Grid episode of 2021 so far. The headline is about 1996 Monaco, but the episode came alive when talking about Olivier's plans for 2000, testing for McLaren and racing for BAR and Toyota. Much respect for sticking to his word with Ron Dennis and his wife. 
And George, there was the whole Williams saga as well, wasn't there? He was offered the 2000 drive by Frank Williams. This period of Olivier's career was a real sliding doors moment, wasn't it? Thanks for sending in your messages. We got loads and I'm sorry I couldn't read them all out, but please remember that I read each and every one of them. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Yuki and remember to send in your thoughts and stories and I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. So see you then. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>